Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. It's Monday, and we are posting an instant classic for your inspiration. This message may come from anywhere around the globe, but is sure to stay with you for years to come. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. Amen. The glory be to God. Can you say amen tonight? And uh, be praying for Nairobi. They're in their conference uh, this week as we speak. They're nine hours ahead. So it's Friday morning there, or close to it, and uh, God's doing good things. Amen. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 9. I believe God to help us tonight on Thursday night, World Evangelism Night, because that's what we are all about. Can you say amen? Matthew chapter 9. There's an old story about D.L. Moody, who in his generation uh, began to touch the masses in evangelism, began to institute many... Uh, very uh, innovative uh, methods, if you want to call it that. And he received lots of criticism, because anybody that reaches soul is going to have criticism. How many of you know that? And uh, he was out front in his evangelism uh, uh, spirit, reaching the lost. And one person came to him and said, Mr. Moody, I don't like your methods of evangelizing. D.L. Moody says, well, you know, now that you mention it, I don't really like him either. <laughs> Tell me, what are your methods of evangelism? The person kind of said, well, um, you know, I don't have any. And D.L. Moody says, then I guess I like my methods of evangelism better than yours. <laughs> and God gave the church only one commission, and that's to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It is upon us to find a way to fulfill that. It is upon you and I to touch our generation, to take the gospel and use whatever means, whatever methods, if you want to call it that, and get the job done. And the Bible can give us some insight into what it's going to take for us to fulfill that. I want to preach a sermon I've called Into All the World. Matthew chapter 9. Let's read verse 35. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest, and when he had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I plead the blood of sprinkling and I'm asking you for Holy Ghost dominion and anointing. I bind the devil in witchcraft and every contrary spirit. I'm asking you for a supernatural impartation of burden, God. Let us know how you feel about the nations and about the souls of men. Empower us and help us in this generation. And I'm asking you to touch lives tonight in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, 
The first thing we're going to need to fulfill this commission is a burden for souls. Now, when we talk about a burden for souls, you have to clarify what that means because a burden for souls is not an emotion. There is emotion involved many times in our text. It said that Jesus, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. And there are times that, that this grips us, uh, uh, but I have to make a confession, and that is that, you know, every time I get in a car and drive down the street, I'm not, you know, seized with this incredible grief that people are going to hell. A lot of times I wish they would just get out of my way. <laughs> a burden is not an emotion. A burden is a responsibility. A burden is something you bear on your shoulders. It's a realization that people who are not saved are really going to go to hell. And then deciding you're going to do something about that. We are showing our movies in the park, you know, this summer as always. And there's an old movie, I don't know if you've ever seen, Without Reservation. And it's about some teenagers that were in a car and got into an accident. Apparently one of these kids was a lukewarm Christian and... As they're there waiting to be judged, the, the kid that had a gospel background is explaining to his friends what was going to happen. He's saying, you know, this is the judgment. And uh, if your name is not in the book, uh, then you're going to go to hell. And the guy driving the car says, how do you know so much about this anyway? He says, because I'm, I'm a Christian. He says, well, then why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you say something to me about this, man? He goes, because I didn't think you wanted to hear. He says, what difference does that make? Whether I wanted to hear it or not. You owed it to me to tell me, man, we went to practice together. We hung out together. It wouldn't have mattered if I got mad at you. You owed it to me to tell me about this. See, a burden is when you realize that people are going to go to hell. It doesn't matter how you feel about them. It doesn't matter what kind of mood you're in. It doesn't matter how busy your schedule is. Back when Christian music was really Christian music, and not some, you know, vague song that sounds like you're singing to your boyfriend or something, there was a man named Keith Green, and he wrote a song that rebuked the church. And here are some of the words. Don't you see, don't you see all the people sinking down? Don't you care? Don't you care? Are you going to let them drown? How can you be so numb not to care if they come? You just sit back and pretend the job's done. Oh, bless me, Lord. Bless me, Lord. You know, it's all I ever hear. No one aches. No one hurts. No one even sheds one tear. But he cries. He weeps. He bleeds. And he cares for your needs. And you just sit back and keep soaking it in. How can you be so dead when you've been so well fed? Jesus rose from the dead, and you, you can't even get out of bed. Preach it. The world is sleeping in the dark that the church just can't fight because it's asleep in the light. God's calling, and you're the one. But like Jonah, you run. He's told you to speak, but you keep holding it in. Can't you see it's such sin? There was an atheist many years ago in London. 
He made a statement. He said, if I believed what you Christians say you believe, that people who do not embrace your gospel are going to burn in a devil's hell, if I believed what you say you believe, I would crawl on my hands and knees on broken glass till my entire generation heard my message. See, a burden is a sense that we have a debt to our generation. Paul said, I am a debtor, both to the Greeks, to the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are Rome also. Paul's attitude was, I owe it to my generation to give myself to preaching the gospel. It is a debt, amen. Or in other words, somebody went out on a limb to witness to me. Somebody gave. Somebody paid their tithes. Somebody went on outreach. Somebody put up with my attitude and my reproach and my cursing. Somebody planted a church. Somebody bore the reproach of their city and became that church. And proudly proclaimed the gospel so I could get saved. The the least I can do is return the favor. If you were on your way home, middle of the night, and you looked over at home that was beginning to burn, and you knew there was a family in there, And if you didn't do something to awaken them out of their stupor and save their lives, that would be criminal. Well, man, I know them. They get really grumpy if I wake them up, man. I just, you know, I don't want to upset them. Don't want to impose what I believe on them. That's pathetic. If you saw that, you'd be being, hey, get up, man, get up. I believe it was D.L. Moody himself came across a a drunk who was freezing to death. And he began to go up to the guy and shake him. Then he started slapping him. Then he started punching him. And this guy got mad and said, hey, what are you doing? And started punching him back and he gets into a fight with him. Then D.L. Moody starts running and this guy chases him. And because he did that, he saved his life. He got his his blood moving. Sometimes you got to get people mad before you can make them glad. I'm not talking about being obnoxious. I'm not saying that you go out and deliberately, you know, try to, to, to be hostile to people. The, the point is that, uh, you know, uh, the gospel message, beloved, we owe it to people to preach the gospel. I got a little bit mad when I first got witness to. And if you were to be walking down Chandler Boulevard and an old man who was blind was about to walk across the street into traffic, you owe him at least a good shove in the other direction. And a burden's not an emotion as much as it is shouldering a responsibility. I want to look secondly that if we're going to fulfill the commission, we need a burden for souls, but then we need an ability with people. See, once God begins to give us this fruit, thank God, when God begins to give us souls and people start coming into our church, there needs to be some ability with people. In the business world, they call this people skills. It's the fine art of being able to get along with other human beings without constantly being in conflict. It is a large-heartedness. It means not being petty. 
It means not always getting your feelings hurt or hurting people's feelings. It's getting above rudeness and shortness and insulting and ego and false machismo. It's above competition. It's beyond pride. It overcomes jealousy and learns to serve and has a grace to encourage and be a blessing. And this is where, many times, as pastors and disciples, we fail God. Because God gives, you know, the harvest is plenteous. The problem is not the harvest, friend. The problem is being able to minister to the precious lives that God brings into the church without killing them. Eh, well, they're just looped out, Pastor. Yeah. Well, no bozos on this bus, you know what I mean? <laughs> well, you can have seven people for the rest of your ministry. Or you can learn some grace. Never mind the grace that was extended to you. Of course, you were a brilliant convert. a wealthy business owner. And he was asked an interesting question. He said, what is the one quality in a worker you are most willing to pay the big bucks for? And the answer was surprising because he did not say education. He did not say technical skill. And he did not say ability. He said the most marketable quality that a human being can have, and I've read this in a number of different management books, The number one determination that decides whether a person is promoted, whether a person is given raises, and even some people say whether or not they become millionaires in life, is the ability to get along with other human beings. People skills. And on top of that, communication. I read about two shoe salesmen. One was very successful. The other was constantly losing his job. One was promoted to president of the company, became wealthy. The other was always drawing unemployment checks. The difference was seen when the first one was helping a woman who insisted she was a shoe size 7. I don't know what it is with women in shoes, by the way. But I'm not even going to go there. But when it didn't fit... He said, lady, the problem is your foot is just too fat. The successful man, on the other hand, helping another woman who also insisted she was a shoe size 7, when it didn't fit, she said, ma'am, it looks to me like they just made this shoe too small. Can we try another? We're not talking about pandering here. Okay, We're not talking about compromising. You know, can I, can I just say something to you? The gospel does not legitimize your obnoxious personality. You'll get in enough trouble. You just preach the gospel, just, just evangelize, and just go on outreach, street preach. You'll get in enough trouble. Yep, hated of all men, that's me. <sighs> Problem is, you were hated of all men before you got saved. <laughs> because you're a jerk. That, that is not a gift of the Holy Spirit, by the way. 
one of the nine ministry gifts, you know, or whatever. And I'll tell you something, Pastor. Successful church growth and fruitfulness also has a very practical side. And there's an ability with people. You know, the problems you have in church, dear God. Kids, church kids. You know what the problem with church kids are? They're mean little demons. (laughs) They're mean. They're just mean. They don't care about souls. They don't care about nothing. They don't give a fig about evangelism. Little tweenagers just want to wring their little necks. Little demon-possessed, little vata-macho, little gangster girls that just need to die. Just mean. You know what I'm saying? Can can we talk? I was pioneering in New York. And, I, and, you know, we had a pretty good start going and, and, and had a good core of people, had a family with some kids. And I noticed every time a new family would come in, within like 30 nanoseconds, the little girl in this family, we're talking about a little seven-year-old girl, would find her way around the back door to their children and have their kids crying in less than a minute. It got so bad, I remember at one altar call, every head is bowed, every eye is closed, there was a visiting family, and of course, you know, brother and sister funk ball and their kids are always sitting right behind them. (laughs) And this demon-possessed little girl is lifting her head and slapping the kid in front of her. (laughs) Of course, mom has to take the kid out. Not my little hito. No. Little Damien, he's just a good boy. <laughs> and the, the, the problem is these kids are allowed to be this way at home. Mom, Dad, you're fasting, you're praying, you're going on outreach, you're sweating in the hot Phoenix sun. God, please bring people into our church. And your kids are killing them. Because the first time they go back to Sunday school, your, your kids are mocking them. Because they got the wrong sneakers on. I don't like that church, Mom. These teenage girls, wicked, jealous... In comes a, you know, you, you got kids that come because they have to come. And then you got kids that come because they want to come. Yes. Right? And so here, here comes, you know, a convert. A girl convert. She happens to be a little bit prettier than you. Or a lot prettier than you. And all of a sudden now, she is a threat. Not that any of the girls in the church are interested in the guys, not themselves, but by God, she's not getting one. So she must die. I've seen it. I have seen it with my own eyes, friend. That's wickedness. And the problem is parents are so blind to their own kids 
so defensive anytime pastor tries to deal with it. And you know what the real problem is? It's not just the kids that are mean, it's the grown-ups. Mean, jealous disciples. Marking their territory like a dog in a fire hydrant. Man, I, you know, a lot of this, I feel the liberty of the Holy Ghost tonight. Half, half this stuff's not even in my notes. Pastor Campbell's pulling this out of me right now. I can feel this, man. These competitive men who won't rise up, playing it safe, guarding their little fiefdoms. But here comes the threatening new convert, Rocket Man. And he becomes marked for death. You know, never mind destiny, okay? Never mind. Never mind that. Never mind nations. Never mind the seed of revival that God brings into this precious church, the womb of evangelism. We get so caught up. Pastor Mitchell used to say, we could run 2,000 people of the disciples who quit killing all our converts. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. You know, even Jesus dealt with this. Listen to this, Mark 6. Jesus, when he came out, saw much people, was moved with compassion toward them because they were sheep not having a shepherd. He began to teach them many things. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desert place. Send them away. The disciples were always saying, send them away. Because they were an inconvenience to them. Because it meant, you know, overtime. It meant, uh, it meant, you know, their positions threatened. It meant that they had to work. It meant they had to vacuum more. It meant they had parking lot duty. Who knows what it meant to them? But it was like, send them away. Lord, I got an idea. You see all these people out here? Can we tell them to leave? He's like, no, no, you can't tell them to leave. That's not what this is about at all. Why don't you feed them? Oh, man, I'm kind of short, man. I only got, you know, 200 penny worth of bread. That's the problem, man. 
There needs to be a valuing of people. If you want, if you want to be fruitful, man, you're going to have to learn that people that come in those doors have got problems. They're messed up. Their problems got problems. And I know we're a military. I know that. But they don't need some spiritual drill sergeant. Move it, move it, move it, move it. Prayer, man, prayer three times a week. Come on, come on, move it. What's the matter with you? Get off the bus, get off the bus. <laughs> you know, a wise pastor and churches that are fruitful and men that, that are militant, they, they, what they do is they produce an environment where people are accepted at the level that they choose to be at, man. Not everybody's hitting on all cylinders, man. And people need to feel that they are free to, to participate at the level that they're at. And then by inspiration and by prayer and by leadership, call them to another level. Raise the bar and invite them to, to step up to the plate and inspire them. And we forget this is a hospital. The pastors are so threatened. They're so threatened by that one family who doesn't think that they're like the fourth person of the Trinity. You know, not everybody in your church is going to like you. Not everybody in the church is going to shine your shoes and fawn at you. Are you going to hate them? Never mind all the people out there that appreciate you. When they walk in the door, it's like the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. That's all you see is this one guy, man. And you've got to kill him. Paul says, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Clang, 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 pastor. And, 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 and Galatians says one of the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, meekness, temperance, long-suffering, gentleness. You know, what it, you know what that means? It means the result of having God inside your heart means these things. There's one little girl came home from Sunday school said, Mom, I learned today that God is bigger than we are. Is that true? She says, that's true, honey. She goes, huh. She says, you know, we also learned that God lives inside our heart. Is that true, too? She said, well, yeah, that is, that's true, too, honey. She goes, huh. She says, Mom, if it's true that God's bigger than we are, and it's also true that he lives in our heart, don't you think some of God should show through? That's what it means to have the fruit of the Spirit. It means that you're redemptive. It means that you're able to take wounded, difficult people. And real maturity is evidenced by an ability with people. And I want to tell you, friend, what challenges me when, when I watch ministries like Pastor Mitchell, Pastor Campbell, and men who are able to hold people and bring them to, to, to healing are people that have a redemptive attitude that don't die on the wrong battlefield, that allow people to, to, to follow at their own pace, at the same time inspiring them. And friend, I marvel at redemption. I marvel when I see wounded, difficult human beings all of a sudden on track for God. And many times that's what's wrong in our churches. I want to close then. If we're going to fulfill the Great Commission, we need a burden for souls. We need an ability with people. 
We need a supernatural dimension. Verse 35 says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Chapter 10, verse 1. When he called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. See, Jesus had a supernatural dimension to his ministry, and he passed this on to his men. And so while we do need an ability with people, we're talking now about a grace that goes beyond human wisdom and beyond human ability. Without that, friend, we're wasting our time. Luke 4 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. This is absolutely vital. If we're going to be successful reaching this generation... We're going to have to have an edge upon our lives that is beyond the natural. This is beyond human personality. This is beyond anything in the normal. This is a supernatural endowment from heaven. And you see this in context. Jesus spoke this immediately after bringing deliverance uh, to a person bound by a demon spirit. It could not be denied. And I want to tell you something, Pastor. Evangelism is not winning an argument. Evangelism is proclaiming a living God and creating an arena where fallen human beings can have an encounter with the living God. And this is done by the preaching of the gospel because what happens is there is a supernatural conviction that seizes the conscience when you are proclaiming Jesus Christ, the only time God ever became a man, died on the cross, shed his blood, rose from the dead, can change your life. There is a supernatural conviction. That seizes the conscience of that human being. There are signs and wonders that also confirm the message and the messenger. And then there is the indispensable power of conversion. Conversion is a miracle. It it doesn't take a miracle to sign a card. It takes a miracle for somebody to get saved. And I understand that not everybody that signs cards, we don't, we don't get caught up in that, Randa. But anybody with a real heart for evangelism gets bothered and says, God, I don't want to just wave the banner on the gold sheet and say there's so many people that prayed. I want to see people get saved. I want to see people get converted. I want to see people touched from heaven and set free like this girl that testified tonight. She met the living God, friend. And when that happens, it changes people. And after people get saved, they need to get delivered, man. Because people, they got visitors. You know what I'm saying? You, know, they, they, you tell them to bring visitors, they say, well, I already brought them. Help me. They're full of visitors. They got issues, man. They got woogums. They, they need a miracle. There needs to be something that happens in that service of the power of God in those altars that set the captive free and heal the bruised heart and equip them to go and empower them to go and to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ. There has to be a supernatural edge. 
And it shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from off your shoulder and his yoke from your neck. And the yoke shall be broken because of the anointing. And I just got back from Kenya Tuesday night, friend, with a fresh desperation for the power of God. You know, you wade into these cultures in Kenya and you, you uncover some of the most bizarre, some of the most perverse, some of the most unbelievably depraved sexual and, and demonic issues in people's lives, friend. And I want to tell you something. People need a miracle. People that come into the church carrying their baggage and their curses and their tribalism and, and, their, and, and in the states, the same thing, the witchcraft and the bigotry and the poverty. They need a miracle of God. They need more than 45 minutes of me ranting and raving. My God in heaven, 30 seconds in the presence of God will do more than 30 years of me venting my spleen which I like to do, I want to do from time to time. We need God. And when God gets involved, friend, that's the key to, the, to revival. And you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. We need an anointing. I remember hearing about Charles Spurgeon, who was a preacher in England and uh, had many conversions those days, they didn't have PAs. They, they, he would go into visiting cities and preach in the church. And in one case, he wanted to test the acoustics. He wanted to measure his lungs against the walls a bit, as it were. And so he came early. There wasn't anybody in the building but him and the pastor. And he, he's just walking around on the platform, checking it out. He decides he's just going gonna to see what the acoustics are like. And he fills his lungs and says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Unbeknownst to him, up in the bleachers, there was a maintenance man bent over, fixing one of the seats. And when he proclaimed that, the Holy Ghost hit this man. He got convicted, began to weep, and asked Jesus into his heart. That's an anointing. And I remember being in Prescott. I remember the atmosphere of discipleship. I remember that we felt responsible to touch the world. Do you still feel responsible, friend? Do you still, even in your carnality and in your weariness, uh, when you're on an airplane or at work, feel responsible for the souls around you? Do you still feel that? Because I remember that's what the culture was in our church. It was honest, man. We had to do something about this. And I remember... Being downtown Prescott as a young disciple, and I, I must confess, this, this does not happen to me all the time, but I'm sitting in my car waiting for somebody, and I'm watching the people walk, and all of a sudden, man, it hit me, these people are going to hell. These people are going to go to hell. And I began to weep, and I said, God, if you are going to burden my heart for the souls of men, you have got to give me the power to do something about it. I was so frustrated in my inability. I said, God, it's not right, man. If I'm, going, if I'm going to represent, if I'm going to preach your word, you have got to give me the ability to do something about this. And I just cried out to God. I remember after the music scene one night, 
we all rode out to Lynx Lake. It was in August when they had the meteor showers. I don't know if they still, they, that still happens around here in August. So we, we went out there, a bunch of us, just to watch the meteor shower. And, and of course, we encountered some partiers. And I remember witnessing to this one young guy, man. I'm just sitting there, we're in the parking lot. And I'm just doing the best I know how to just tell this kid about Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, man, the Holy Ghost comes down. And this kid takes his beer and pours it on the ground. Drops the can, reaches into his pocket, takes out a nickel bag of marijuana, dumps it out in the parking lot. And I'm, I'm still something of a new kind. I, you know, so I kind of want, wait, wait, oh. No, 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 that's all right. No. <laughs> it, it just, I was like, this caught me off guard. I never saw anybody do that. <laughs> and this kid kneels down and asks Jesus Christ into his heart, man. I tell you what, I said, oh my God, all my years as a sinner. With all my slick raps, I was never able to talk somebody out of their beer and their dope. I said, this is some heavy stuff right here. Hallelujah. I remember Mark Olson telling me about pioneering in Cortez, Colorado. That was back when... You know, a city of 8,000 was a metropolis. You know, I think that city was seven, 8,000 people. He built a powerful work in a very short time, 90, 100 people. He was telling me about being in the park in Cortez, Colorado. Now, we're talking about, you know, Hicksville, man. And he's preaching, and uh, apparently there was a couple. They were shacking up together. They were up on the hill. Who is this loudmouth preacher? Let's go tell him a thing or two. And so mama and her, her, her man, you know, they come marching down, you know, the hill. And they're going to get in this guy's face. And, and Mark's just pulling this all together. There's probably about six people in the whole park, you know. Here come the two hecklers, you know. And Mark said, here comes this mama and her, her, her boyfriend. And they come down. They get right up to the platform. And Mark grabs them by the hand and says, you guys want to get saved, don't you? And they went... Yeah. Got saved... And became pillars in the church. That's a dimension of God. This is something you must contend for by faith. By seeking the word of God. By being a clean vessel. By crying out to God. Because every person in this place has a portion in the Holy Ghost. You shall receive power. After the Holy Ghost has come upon you. To be witnesses unto me to the uttermost parts of the earth. First John says, but the anointing which you have received of him abides in you. And Jesus said, truly, truly, I say unto you, he that believes on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. And whatsoever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. That is in the context, beloved. Anything you ask in my name, I will do it. That is in the context of a supernatural demonstration of God's power as you step forward and preach his gospel. Let's bow our heads before the Lord. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.
you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless.